All right, happy Thursday to everybody out there. Another edition of the Damn Podcast coming at you. Brandon Sprague, 1080 The Fan, alongside, as always, Angie Machado, beaverblitz.com. And hey, you're coming off the Utah loss. Not a lot of uh, happiness out there in Corvallis, but you were close with the top 25 team. True, true. Uh, I think the the biggest takeaway that I had, and we're a couple of days removed from it, is A, the, the injuries to the two quarterbacks. And Kevin Clune yesterday came out and said he didn't want to hear any more about injuries, that he was going to whack somebody upside the head. But um, at quarterback, when you lose both, you know, your number one and number two quarterbacks, and you're down to two quarterbacks, and one of which may be a, burning a red shirt, that's tough to take. And uh, then second, we're just the the stupid things that happened on special teams. I mean, the, the Beavers lost that game due to special teams. Yeah, I, the, you really could make that point, Angie. I think you're 100% because say what you want uh, about the late touchdown given up. And look, I think Utah is the better program, but you, you spotted them five points, basically. You gave them the two with the, the snap on the punt, and then you miss a point-blank 27-yard field goal. Like, And it, by the way, that was one of the worst close-range field goal misses I've ever seen. I mean, it was an instant shank job from the minute he kicked it. You can say what you want, but they did basically help him out, and you lost by five points. You gave him two, you missed the three. Yeah, I mean, that's... And then the, the onside kick was kind of... I mean, I don't I don't know what the deal was. I've heard that maybe Adley Rutschman has been working out fall ball with the uh, baseball team, but, you know, he had that great... And, and, you know, Coach Anderson said he's more of a kind of a special onside kick guy, but he yeah. had that great onside kick against... Boise State, why not go with that? Um, you know, I didn't even go 10 yards. But, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I think defensively we saw, you know, some fight. I mean, both, both has the ball. I'm not going to say they didn't fight. But um, the weather, while it played an, a, a part, you know, a part in it, I, it wasn't as bad as everybody had made it out to sound like it was going to be. But defensively, I, I see strides in this team. I like what I'm seeing. Offensively, there's still a lot of work. But I'm, I'm actually starting to get in that camp of – they're getting closer. You know, they just, it's, it's kind of cleaning up everything. And I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you get the wide receivers all running the correct routes. And they're, they're getting manhandled a little bit and pushed to the outside when they shouldn't be. But, um, you know, deep balls have been a struggle. But the O-line looks better. And like I said, I'm most impressed with the, with the run game and then the defense. Yeah, I was really impressed with the defense, too. That defensive line, I mean, you're looking for signs throughout the season, right? You're looking for signs of the marked improvement. And whether that means wins or losses, uh, I think most people are interested in the development of these younger players that are getting in on the rotation and even some of the experience. The defensive line really stood out to me. To get those stops in the second half, maybe you didn't ever think they were going to score and take advantage of them. But to get the stops on those fourth downs, I thought that was pretty big time. I thought that was a game where, yes, you lost. Yes, you had mental errors and you had collapses in special teams. But but you you came up big when you needed to in an area which, by the way, and Gary Anderson has pointed this out, in an area where you basically got pushed around all last season. So I thought the defensive line really stood out. The unfortunate part is going to be, and, and of course, we got a lot to talk about on the podcast. We're going to have James Dockery. He's going to join us a little later. I'm really excited about that. Um, people have requested to have him on the podcast. He's been doing a lot of Comcast Sportsnet stuff. So we'll have James Dockery jump in the studio here at some point. Um, but uh, in terms of the defensive line, they played well. The linebacking core is the frustration because this might be a week where they play three freshmen. I mean, they got Whitson and Murray now have to step up in place of the injured players, and it, it's just <sighs> attrition has really bit this team this season. 
Oh, completely. And, and these young guys are trial by fire. I mean, that's Utah's not the Utah that we've seen past years, but they're still so physical up front, both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, now again this week, taking on Washington, you have another, you know, or in, in my point of view, I almost think, and Brianna, we haven't talked about this, but even if Nall's ready to go, I, I almost think you sit him another week because Washington, this is going to be a big physical task, test. I'd almost rather see Nall ready to go in 100% full strength for some what I would consider a few more winnable games. You know, you have mm-hmm. UCLA. Stanford's tough. It's going to be another physical game, but they're not the Stanford that we've seen. I, I still think that one penciled out, penciled out to a loss, but, you know, UCLA, or, uh, Arizona and Oregon coming up. I want my team at full strength for those two because those are definitely potential wins. What did you think of uh, of McMarion? He didn't do. I mean, yeah, he moved the ball down the field with the with the passing in that one drive, but um, they were pretty simple play calls, yeah. and uh, it wasn't anything you know any rocket science. But gosh, I mean, this is the chance he's been waiting for. I mean. All those fans that have been wanting Marcus McMarion and wondering what happened. He's a great kid. I hope the best for him. It's it's tough sledding right now when you're coming in against Washington on the road. But, um, you know, this is the moment sports guys live for, and he doesn't have to be looking over his shoulder. This is this is his his game. So um, we get to really see what he can do here. When we were talking about this on my radio program, uh, we were talking about the quarterback position. We had a couple of people that were texting in Beaver fans of just like, oh, it's about to get worse. You think McMarion's the answer. He passed 31% last year. And it was funny because I went and looked at the numbers. And look, I, I, I'm not saying I disagree with the notion that Todd McMarion's going to come in and, and win you ball games by any means. But I looked at the numbers. Daryl Garrettson in his last three was 35. Are, are we yeah. really going to argue yeah. and, and, and have fights over a 4% difference? I'm not because I'm going to tell you, even though those plays are basic slant routes and easy routes for kids to kind of pick up and, and go with when they come in, you know who wasn't making those basic throws? The starting freaking quarterback in Daryl Garrettson. And I hate that he got hurt. I don't wish that on anybody, but I also don't want to act like Daryl Garrettson was this all-pro stud that had come into Oregon State this year and lit everybody up. He couldn't complete five-yard passes. He had one of the worst picks I've seen in a long time. Um, so I just I don't think there is much of a difference at all. And in fact, I just walked away, I think, from his performance and said, what did Connor Blount do as a scout team quarterback to jump Marcus McMarion in, in the Boise State game and in the other games in general before he got hurt. Because I'm going to tell you, the Boise State second half, that's all we heard about from Beaver fan. How about the second half for Oregon State when McMarion came in, rejuvenation, got a touchdown pass, you started to feel a little good, and I don't hear anything about it. So it's interesting to me, one, how McMarion got jumped by Blount, who was a scout team quarterback, not not slated to play at all. And two, this notion that like Marcus McMarion is the worst thing possible when Connor Blunt has shown us nothing since Boise State's second half and Daryl Garrettson's done nothing since Minnesota. Yeah, no, exactly. And that's that's where, you know, it, it, you're you're right on the money there with the uh, nobody. Beaver fan hasn't said anything. And, you know, Marcus led the team to 76 yards passing. They had like 24 before that. I mean, that that tells you all you need to know that they so, had one um, yard I mean, passing, but, Angie, in the first half. One. Oh, one yard in the first half. Have you ever seen that? Jerry Pettibone days? <laughs> uh, that, that's yeah, all I could maybe. Th- I yeah. mean, um, so no, I mean, it, like I said, and, and he won't have to look over his shoulder. There's Right now, there's no contra- con- quarterback controversy because he's the guy. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing. Ultimately, it's not really going to matter to me because of the opponent you play this week. Blount, Garrettson, 
McMarion doesn't ultimately matter, but at least you saw some positive signs from one of the players. Um, and I think this is going to be a tough week for them. There's not much to break down with Washington. I think if you're realistic, you kind of see the writing on the wall. Maybe we'll ask Dockery when he comes in uh, if he would bet on the Bees plus 37 and a half, I believe, is the line right now. But outside of that, I mean, they're just so banged up in so many different positions that I have a hard time. Ryan Nall's not going to play. I I really have a hard time believing uh, that that team's in any kind of winning type position or even up upset type position. Well, and that's you know, and, the, and then on the flip side of that, we just ran our behind enemy lines where I check in with the publisher of the scout site for the the opponent, and Chris Fetters said that he's he's actually surprised by it, but Washington really is surprisingly healthy right now. There's mm-hmm. really nobody out of note. They're coming off a bye, so the two guys that were banged up should are expect to be back. Um, and McClatcher. And it was a linebacker. I can't recall off the top of my head, but um, they're they're 100%. So yeah, Oregon State defense is going to need to slow them down. Mm-hmm. And uh, when Oregon State gets the ball, they're going to need to try to put some points up. Yeah. So and f- I know that sounds. I mean, that's so cliche, but mm-hmm. um, it's end of the day, that's really what's going to have to happen. Yeah. Frustrating. Beavers lost. They lose by five. But I mean, they shot themselves in the foot, and they're right there in contention. I think that's really what you want to see. And I, I know I heard Gary, uh, Gary Anderson on 1080 The Fan. Uh, yesterday on Wednesday, and he he was talking about that. Just that's kind of what you look for. You obviously want the win, but it's just watching your kids be able to compete in the trenches the entire game. And you didn't have that last year. They just didn't have the bodies. They didn't have the size uh, and that ability. And I thought you saw a little bit on display uh, against Utah on Saturday, albeit the weather conditions weren't quite as bad as we thought they would be. And another area that I wanted to go to was uh, recruiting your ex- your area of expertise and uh, talk about uh, a big commit that the Beavers got. And Jake Lutton, JC quarterback, committing to Oregon State yesterday, 6'6", 210 to 215 pounds. What do you make of that pickup for Gary Anderson? Yeah, that one, you know, we, I think we saw it coming, especially with all these injuries. And this has been a really, really hot topic uh, at Beaver Blitz. And, uh, you know, just why are they taking a J- JC kid? He is originally from Marysville, Washington, went to Idaho for a couple years, transferred out down to uh, Ventura College down in Southern California just to try to get some eyes on him, felt that he really had improved and, and could potentially get that D1 offer, and, and it worked out for him. Huge arm. You know, I, I talked with Taylor Barton, who I think most of the listeners will know is a is, runs quarterback camps, was a former quarterback up at UW. Mm-hmm. Um, is known kind of in the Northwest as a as kind of a guru with quarterbacks, especially, and works with a lot of them. You know, he told me that the first thing is you can't teach size and arm strength. And he said that Jake has both of those. And he said he saw him his first year. Um, the first time he saw him was the, right before Jake's senior year in high school. And he said this kid comes walking out, and he said he just looked at him and said, that kid has like an NFL-type body. And yeah. he said he struggled. You know, he was really raw and kind of rough around the edges. And Went to Idaho and, and kind of was, he, he did some things there, but um, really has developed the past two years working with, with not only Taylor, but some other quarterback coaches in the area and, and down in Southern California and has kind of developed and has a super strong arm. Taylor said his big thing is his arm strength, but that he can move, especially for a six six guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and Beaver fans are kind of freaking out a little bit. And Why are they freaking you, out? I love this, actually. I like the pickup. of uh, He's a two-for-two. Two. So right now, that looking ahead for next year, it, it gives you some depth. You have a senior in Garrettson. You'll have a junior in McMarion and um, Luton. You have a sophomore in Blount, who's a walk-on. Mm-hmm. Redshirt freshman 
with Moran, and then Willard is, will be a true freshman. It gives you that depth. It gives you a nice spacing to go out and get a new quarterback every single year. I, I, I don't see it as a loss. I mean, right now they have a grad assistant running the scout team. That yeah. is where the Beavers are at. So, um, you know, you got a guy with a strong arm. And, and it's interesting, too. I, I think Beaver fans are maybe a little confused. Just We haven't seen a lot of Oregon State offense running the way they want it to run. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some of these guys are getting pegged as, well, this guy's a thrower and this guy is a passer and, or a runner. And the, the thing that McGiven and Anderson are trying to do is they want to be a pass-first offense. They want their quarterback to be able to run five to eight times a game or pick up some extra yards if things break down. So, um, you know, they want a big-armed kid, but they don't want a statue that's just going to take a 10-yard loss in a sack should he get rushed. Yeah, and I would say, like, I first of all, I don't really understand why they would be panicking. Um, you just listed basically, like, eight quarterbacks, so clearly there's going to be some kids that leave this program. Uh, maybe McMarion might be one of them where he kind of f- sees himself on, on the I don't, outs. See, I don't th- I don't think so. I think but how can how can you around. keep I, the Willard kid would probably redshirt then, right? Yeah, he'll redshirt. So you'd have Garrettson, Blount, you'd have Mason Moran who's redshirting this year, and I don't think Gary Anderson's going to burn it, by the way. And then you would have uh, Luton. So you're going to carry four quarterbacks? Yeah, I, I mean that's most teams. You you want to have four scallies? Ooh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess to a point, you're probably right. There are other teams in this conference I could probably name with some quarterbacks that are. You know, wearing one of those jerseys, those those over their shoulder red jerseys where you don't tackle them in practice type things at, at games, and they never play, uh, but they're there for just insurance. I, I don't know why people would be worried about this though. I think this is a great move. Yeah, I um, think it's it's it was definitely needed, especially when you have two guys go yeah, down. Yeah, you had to do this, and the reason I say that is because even with Moran coming in, I do believe he's going to get the shot to be the kid and and take this program by by the horns. But Garrettson is going to be a senior. Maybe the offensive line can improve and he can get some confidence back. Um, but with this kid coming in and Luton, uh, I, I watched too much tape of this kid yesterday, like way too much tape on a, on a Idaho slash high school player. But I walked away completely amazed. I mean, he's throwing 45, 50-yard bombs like they're nothing. Like you said, Taylor Barton uh, mentioning you can't teach size. I think this is a good thing for them. Uh, competition brings out the best in people. And if this is what pushes Mason Moran to be more ready and be the program kid as a freshman, great. If it doesn't, then fine. He's still a redshirt freshman and you're not in a rush. And maybe you have an experienced kid who's ready to play in the Pac-12 with Sean Mannion-like size and ready to go in Luton. But I'll say this from Gary Anderson, the vibe I get is he's not in a rush to burn the redshirt. One, because the offensive line's so banged up and, and kind of inconsistent. And two, I don't think he thinks Mason Moran is really ready to be a Pac-12 quarterback, there's still a little growing up to do, still a little identifying coverages, understanding the nuances of college football. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked at all if this was a move done thinking he may not be ready to go next year. I loved this move. Well, and, and think about this. The Beavers, so this is, you know, it will be Garrettson's last year next year. Who does Oregon State open with in 2018? Uh, Ohio State. On the road. Yeah, at Columbus. Can you imagine? You know, so at least you have, I mean, that's, honestly, I think that's been kind of some of Garrettson's issue is that opening that game, Minnesota, not that it was like some difficult, awful place to play. It was that the O-line struggled and he got beat up bad. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, do you really want your um, redshirt sophomore quarterback opening up his career at Ohio State? I I, I don't know. And, And he might be completely ready by then, but you need to have at least some depth there. 
going forward. Yeah, so I, I thought that was a pretty big pickup for them to go get a, a 6'6", 200-plus-pound kid with a huge cannon. Maybe and you're he, only married to him for two years. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's not a five-year it, deal. Yes, and I, I think that's an important part, too, that people overlook with JCs is it's, it's, a, it's an in-and-out situation. And for me, when I, when I think of where the program is going, I love it. Because, again, I think competition just brings out the best. And uh, maybe this kid's going to be good. Maybe this is the real deal kid that we get for two years. You know, we all this talk about Mason Moran. There was a ton of talk about Daryl Garrettson. Hey, maybe it's this Luton kid coming in next year and he becomes this really good program quarterback uh, for two seasons and getting the Beavers back to bowl respectability. And then Mason Moran finally can come in as, as maybe uh, a junior and, and be ready to go for two years and they figure out a system with that. Yeah, com- completely. Um, all right, so pretty big pickup for the Beavers there. James Dockery set to come in here pretty soon. He texted me earlier. Um, so let's do questions. Let's do damn podcast questions. Do you want to start? Let's do it. Okay. okay, so this is actually a pretty good one. I'll probably have to jump in on it, but you may have something to weigh in. Q Beaver on, on Beaver Blitz asks, does it seem like Coach Anderson is more personally involved in recruiting this year? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I was. I was. Look, you, you are clearly the person I think everybody wants to hear from on this. So I'll just chime in real quick. I promise. Yes, 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 yes. I don't follow recruiting nearly as much uh, or as well, and I never will as Angie. But I will say, just from an observing standpoint, what I've seen on social media on Friday nights, what I've seen from reading, uh, you know, recruits. Uh, tweets, etc. It feels like it just feels like from a guy observing. Gary Anderson is for sure out in the field more. Yeah. Oh, and he is completely on the phones with these kids. You know, we're, we're catching up with these kids. I'm, I, you know, text them and call them throughout the week. And you know, I'll, I'll get a, hey, I just got off the phone with Coach Anderson, and then he passed the phone to my position coach or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, that's huge. Your head coach is that involved? Huge. Yeah. Um, let's see. With this is Wesley Butch, fourteen. With the quarterback injuries to Garrettson and Blount, and a lot, a lot of talk has been happening with the weather, or on, with whether or not Moran should play this year. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I would like D. Hell no, please. That's what I would circle <laughs> on this one. Like I know, I know he is mentioned on the two deep, uh, but reality is, and, and Gary Anderson has said as much. He's not going to play. They are going to play Seth Collins if they absolutely have to go to somebody else and Marcus McMarion gets hurt. Uh, I just, I don't know what you gain from burning it. I, I really don't. And I don't think he's ready. I don't, I don't think Gary Anderson believes that the kid is ready. He has to list him on a two deep because he's a quarterback. But for the most part, there's no chance that you burn this. I don't think there's any chance that Gary Anderson burns this unless he gets to a point in the second quarter when he doesn't have any options outside of maybe playing Hunter Jarman. Uh, at quarterback. So, no, I, I would say you don't burn it because it's almost a waste if you do this year, especially at this point in the season. Yeah, I, and, and you know you have to remember, I love the fact that Mason came in early, but here's a kid who basically graduated high school or left, you know, in March, immediately moved, you know, away from home, started college immediately, has been trying to learn a new playbook, do, I mean, it's a lot on your plate. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to be learning the playbook as a freshman coming in with the rest of your class. But there's a lot on your plate to try to, you know, pick up with school and yep. everything else. So um, I like that they're able to ease him into this a little bit. I know he knows the playbook. I know he's getting comfortable with it. But, um, you know, it's it's nice to have a little bit of buffer there before uh, being thrown, especially to the dogs. 
Yeah. Literally. Yeah, I know. I completely agree with that one. I think most people, um, people are always going to be curious, which I think is a good thing. But for the most part, I think most people agree, like, this is not the time to be burning it. Um, do you have any? I have a couple more, but... Uh, I got one from Chatty Dan 101 uh, What have you heard about Blount's return sometime this season? Looked like a serious knee injury. So, what I mean, what I've heard, you know, Coach Anderson won't talk about injuries unless they're season-ending. So, um, you know, it's not necessarily season-ending, but, you know, if it's something like a... You know, ACL would put you out all year. An MCL might be, what, five weeks, four to five weeks, depending on, you know, he, he hasn't specified. Depending on how he heals and everything goes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it, it, these are so interesting. And if, and if coaches and players don't want that information released, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of just speculation. But knees, I, I, I think we would have known by now if it was an ACL and he was going to be out for the year. So that tells me it's probably a, an MCL or, you know, a you know, a a lesser damaged ligament. So um, it just kind of depends, you know, they can do those scope, scope surgeries, clean things out and, you know, be back in what, four to five weeks. Yeah. That's kind of what I look, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I haven't really reached out to, to anybody that I know down there. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Um, I think the only interest in Blount and his return this season is because he's technically the second string quarterback and you're on your third Outside of that, I, I just don't think it's that important. Um, but it, based on what I've what I've kind of seen, I, I think you're probably pretty close. I think you'd be looking at what is this going to be week? Is this going to be week eight in college football? Yes. Holy crap! I know time's flying. Yeah, I mean maybe he's available for the second to last game or a civil war, depending on how he does. But for the most part, I mean, who knows? We may not see him the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean that's. Like I said, and and the staff is pretty quiet and secretive about injuries, but, uh, you know, my guess is something, you know, probably four to five weeks. Yeah. Um, I got another one from uh, from Matthew. This one is on the same, on quarterbacks as well. Does OSU have a Power 5 quarterback on its roster? I think that's a pretty good question. Well, actually, it has, what, four because there's four guys. <laughs> 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 yes, I'm a smart ass yeah. today. Um I see what he's saying, though. I think, yeah, yeah I, know what, I know what he means. I, I know which direction he's going. Mason Moran definitely would be a power five. You know, he had several offers. Um, it, it's tough with quarterbacks, too, because these guys, you know, commit early, and you don't really hear about the other teams that were coming in. So I know for a fact Mason Moran was being recruited pretty heavily, but basically shut everything down. I know Willard um, was, you know, Tennessee, Cal, USC were all coming in on him, and he told them, no, I'm committed to Oregon State. So, um Willard's not here, obviously, but mm-hmm. definitely a guy like Moran would be a Power Five guy, um, and I'm excited to see what Willard does, uh, just because you know he he has some skills, he he moves really well. Um, obviously, he'll need some time in the in the system, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but um, I, I do think you know, and it's also hard to recruit when you're coming off a, a ten and two or two and ten season. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, I think there's a couple guys that probably really aren't. I don't know if Blount really is. Um, I, I don't know if McMarion really is. I would say this about Daryl Garrettson. I've been a little harder on him, and I think part of the reason is I'm still so shocked that he go from Minnesota to what we've seen now from him, uh, and it's unfortunate that he's going to be out the rest of the year. All people did was tell me how this year he was clearly going to be substantially better, and I just haven't seen, 
I, I know numbers would probably go against this. I just don't feel like I've seen him be that much better than what you saw last year at quarterback for this team. Um, but I still think he's got to be in that conversation. Confidence is a hell of a thing in sports. You lose your offensive line trust, you kind of lose everything, and you become your own worst enemy in that sense. And I think that's part of what happened with Daryl Garrettson. Um, and Mason Moran, I mean, I don't know how you don't say he's a Power 5 quarterback uh, or at least Pac-12 quarterback. We don't, ha- we can't have an opinion on him yet. He hasn't played a snap in college, but based on the achievement of winning, what, high school athlete of the year in Arizona or football yeah. player of the year in Arizona – and you know, kind of being the the hope and the future for Oregon State, I would say absolutely Moran and Garrettson would be those two guys. Yeah, and Chandler's such an amazing program. So. Yeah, no doubt about um, it. Absolutely you know. is. Um, this one I, f- from oh, go ahead. Scott. Uh, sorry to interrupt you there. This one from Scott is the lack of tight end play due to offensive line work, poor passing play, or play calling. Probably all of the above. Yeah, but they're really they're missing. You know, I mean, they had the injury right off the bat. Well, no, so. ye, no, Togi is going to be out for the year, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they got, and then they Ortiz. They really haven't been playing a or, lot. Yeah, Ortiz is, I and think he was injured. doubtful for this week. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, and, and poor, you know, poor Ortiz. He's been tight end, fullback, uh-huh. linebacker. Um, and then Tuli Wiley Matagi has played some, but it hasn't really been part of the offense, to be honest. I, I have one here. Um, and it was I just pulled it up so we could kind of go through it because I think people would be pretty interested. Okay. Um, Phil Philbro Baggins wants to know on Beaver Blitz. Great name, um, by the way. Is, that's a good one. Uh, talk about the freshmen and the players um, that are getting their red shirts taken off, and who stepped up, you know, maybe before. So I'm just going through last year's signing list. Gus Lavaca mm-hmm. has played. Lavaca has been a, a beast for them, I think. He has, and, and Lawina's back in now, showing up as the starter. I don't know if you mess with the O-line. I've, I've liked what we've seen. Um, let's see. Key Wetzel, uh, Kenny Turnier played, but I'm wondering if we see him get his year back because he was injured his first game mm-hmm. playing tight end. Um, Landry Payne, Philip Napoleon, those are transfers. Shamar Smith has played, so his red shirt. Yeah, that is- sucks that he got hurt. Um, well, and Shamar Smith's hurt now, too. So. Well, that's what I'm saying, Shamar Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, that sucked that he got hurt. Shamaya Whitson now is playing. Yeah, he'll be he'll probably be healing a lot of linebackers Murray for is them. playing. Mm-hmm. Hamilcar Rashad was going to be playing. I, I'm not sure if he has or not, but that was one that was going to happen. Uh, Joel Robinette has played and just got hurt. How unfortunate yeah. was that, by the way? I know. I mean, he had such a great game against Cal and then um, injures a shoulder. Trevon Bradford has played. Artavis Pierce has played. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so quite a few there. I so, think, And that's just the freshmen. Uh, then you have the, the Jucos that have also played. I think the uh, the biggest one that stands out in terms of being consistent and giving you something has been Art Pierce. Pierce, um, yeah, completely. There's been flashes from some of the other guys, but I'll say this. This is partially a decision uh, of needing talent. I think it's also partially a decision of just being decimated with injuries. And, and I, I haven't seen an Oregon State team like this in a long time that has been hit with the injury bug as hard as them. Um, because even those freshmen we just named, I mean, these kids are playing for one game. I mean, go look yeah. at um, uh, 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 Robinette. I mean, he, he comes in and boom, he's done. Like, so my, my hope is for those three, Shamar, uh Kenny and Joa that they get, you know, a medical hardship. See, I'm hoping the same thing. I, I just, sometimes those things are a little tricky with I know. how they quantify who gets what, you know? 
but it's it's playing in it's like a fifth of the season. It works out to like if you've played in you know three games or something. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, no, there's been a lot, a lot of new players, um, and you know how tough for some of those guys that have gone out. And uh, I, a funny little story that our listeners might like. So Artavis, you know, went out against Utah. Now, Brandon, you're a parent. Imagine your kid playing in Florida. Yeah. Okay? And you see him go out. Mm-hmm. So I get, I, I go, I have to leave partway through the fourth quarter to get down to set up the video camera and everything, get ready for, and I, I'm not watching the game, obviously. I'm down in the video room and I get a text from Artavis's parents. Is, is Art okay? We can't, find, we can't see if he's okay. What's going on? And I, I just know that feeling of helplessness that a parent has to have, right? And and so I'm like, okay, I'll try to find out for you. And then I get a text back from him that he was able to reach Danny Moran with the Oregonian down on the down on the field after the game, and it was uh-huh. a stinger. And then I was able to take a picture of Art while he was in and send it to parents. But can you imagine? <laughs> can you seriously imagine? No, that would that that's part of the that's the crux of college recruiting when you're a football player. It's like you never know where you're going to end up, but. Uh... I like that he was able to reach out to you and Danny and try to find somebody to uh, to help him out a little bit on that. That's right. That's right. So, it, good story. Yeah, that that was uh, that's good stuff. It's it's um, it's a frustrating time. I think there's things to be optimistic about, um, but overall, I mean, look, you lost you lost by five points. I know we're going to move on. Dockery's coming in here in like two seconds. Um, you lost by five points against Utah. We've got to feel good about that, right? Totally. I'm anxious to hear what Dockery has to say. Let's let's get him in here. Yeah, uh, uh, me too. We have a lot to talk about. He's called me out on my radio show because I've talked about Cal. Uh, he doesn't like the way I talk about Oregon State. He questions me on it, questions my fandom. So I said, come on in on the podcast, man. Let's have some good times and uh, uh, let's talk Oregon State. When's the last time you talked to him? Oh, it's been a while. It's been quite a while, but yeah. I, I mean, I talked to him on social media, but uh, I haven't talked to him. So this will be super fun. All right, now we're here with James Dockery. Uh, really excited to talk with him. Angie and I have wanted to get him on for a couple weeks now, but time-wise, it's just really difficult because you got a working schedule now. Um, so, so welcome to the podcast, first of all. Let's just address the elephant in the room off the bat. <laughs> so I do a radio show from noon to three, and I know I've said that numerous times, but uh, you, you like to call me out occasionally on social media, and you told me at a, at a football game, I think it was the Boise game, we saw each other at a tailgate, and you had said, man, you're not even a Beaver fan. And I'm curious where this all stems from for you. Uh, man, I think it's just been, you know, over the years when I listen to 1080, since I'm a faithful fan of, you know, Darren Sprague's show, a 1080 fan, um, you know, when I'm driving around and I'm listening, it just doesn't sound like you're too much of a Beaver fan. You know, kind of harsh. You know, I think Lindsey Snell also gets a little, you know, crap for that. But um, I just think that, you know, our show is our, not our show, but the show is predominantly for Duck fans. And so it comes across uh, like we treat Oregon State like a little brother, which is kind of, uh, you know, the, the state. That's kind of how they treat Oregon State. And so it gets a little frustrating. Do you feel the same way, Angie? And I, I can't say that I listen to Dirt and Sprague every day because I'm kind of busy running running my site. But uh, I, I do think I think it's quieted down, obviously, a ton this year with, with the duck struggles. But, uh, I mean, going from a media side, though, the radio station has to cater to mm-hmm. where, the, you know, where the advertisers are. And yeah. it's it's tough sometimes. Well, I, I think, too, because, look, I, I see I see where you come from when you tweet it. It's funny because I wish, I wish you were like, I could see you and talk to you about this stuff because social media, people can always misconstrue what you say on social media. Yeah. Uh, but I usually kind of know where you're coming from and, like, maybe with the tone you're saying it in in my head. Uh, but the thing about Oregon State is, like, 
I don't even know why it has to be a label that I'm I'm not. I mean, maybe not a fan's the right way, but I'm like harsh on them because I think it's this is the reality though, Doc. They've won four games in two seasons. They got their first Pac-12 win since 2014. Like, I, I get like seeing optimism, and we've talked a lot of optimism on our show about Gary Anderson in the future, et cetera. Um, but I also don't like to polish turds very often, so I have a hard time getting on the radio and saying, "Hey, Oregon State lost by 41 points to Colorado." Like, what's the positive I take away from that game? No, I, I just think you know yesterday. You know, or not yesterday, when was that? That was a few days ago. Yeah. Um, Monday or Tuesday, what it was. And we're talking about, you know, Oregon State just going down, uh, you know, to Washington and just getting obliterated like most people are expecting. But even from the sense that, well, hey, if Oregon State beat them or beat Cal, then Oregon must definitely get them. If the Beavers ran for 400, then Oregon must definitely. No, there's no such thing as Oregon must definitely do something because Oregon State did it. It's two different years. It's two different programs, you know, two different trends. Oregon is trending down and Oregon State is trending up. Whether you think that the record justifies that or not, if you look at the games that they've lost, Minnesota should have won that game. Should have, could have, would have. That doesn't get you paid. I understand that, but they should have won that game. You go to Utah, they should have won that game. You missed two field goal uh, kicks. You know, we missed some points in special teams, left some points out there on the board. You gave them five points with a safety and, and a safety. 27 a, miss, uh, 27 yard miss field Exactly. Goal. That's a big switch right there. And, and that's another game we win, and we're sitting here at three and three. And we'll still be talking about Oregon Ducks more. How how do you think we would be? People would be feeling about three and three for Oregon State. I know it's a one game different and uh, one game difference, Angie. But like, what do you think that difference would mean to people? Oh, it's huge. I mean, it, it people right now. I mean, I think people walked away. You know, everybody said at least on Beaver Blitz that they want to see this team compete, and not maybe that doesn't translate into wins and losses this year. But they want to see them competitive. But now the Beavers are competitive. I mean, they they like we've just talked about they were in minnesota they were in utah and frankly should have won both of those games and i think it's that i mean like doc said that coulda woulda shoulda doesn't pay the bills but fans are already like itching for that next step but uh, they're competitive you know and it's like okay if, if you look at this team a they are decimated with injuries decimated um i mean you're down now to a uh third string quarterback um, I had it, it described to me, this team right now is suffering deaths by a thousand cuts. This is little things that just keep biting them. But this is also growing, and these guys are going to get stronger. I mean, James, you, you know this. I mean, they're young guys. They're learning. They're, they're kind of cutting their teeth early. And uh, I do think, you know, give this team two years. Uh, next year they should win more games. But in two years this team should be, you know, knocking on the door. Yeah, I would think knocking on the door in a sense of, uh, they should. You can kind of compare us to maybe Wazoo and what Mike Leach has done and given his time up there. Uh, but you know, I think you know, really, what I'm going back to is just like, for example, when we said uh, on 1080 Fan, you guys said that you know Cal. Uh, basically woke up in the second half. Yeah. So for for me, that's just like saying, oh, Oregon State, they overlooked Oregon State, but that's that's not even accurate in my opinion because Cal, who is Cal? They're not a top twenty five program. They haven't been to the Rose Bowl in a long time. They mm-hmm. haven't been. They haven't done anything. So for you to overlook anybody in the Pac twelve would just be asinine. You can't overlook anybody in this conference from Oregon State. Anybody you yeah. can't overlook anybody. But would you? I mean, you got to agree with this though, right? Like there are teams, whether it's the Beavers, let's say Colorado, for every year previous since they've joined the conference, because this year having a great year. You have games though, like whether the team wins or loses, some of those teams overlook them. And I'll give you, I'll just give you an example. And I know people hate when I bring up Oregon on the podcast, but I'll just give you one. Twenty ten, 
That team in Eugene goes to the national championship game. Do you know what their closest game was up until the title game? It was Cal, who okay. wasn't a great program at that point. They played and they good, won, though. They yeah. won by two. Right. Now, that was would, you tell me, yeah. yo, would you tell me, though, that Oregon was not substantially better than that Cal team? I would completely agree to that sentiment, and I just think it does happen from time to time. When you say who is Cal to do that. Yeah. Ma- matchups make fights, though. That year, exactly. Pendergrass was a heck of a coordinator, and he held Oregon down in, the, in their best years to you know two-score games. So that was common for Cal. Okay, so I, I, w- I wouldn't disagree that, that styles make fights, but I would also say, too, it's not that I'm necessarily taking away from OSU because at the end of the day, you did still win the game. You still found a way to overcome the momentum turn and win in overtime. But Cal had just beaten Utah at home, a, a big goal line stand. And you say, who is Cal to have that? That's who Cal has been, though, is they'll have a big win and then they disappoint for the next couple of weeks. And I just think it's fair to say if Cal and Oregon State played 10 times, I think Cal wins seven to eight of those matchups. Uh, I, I can't I can't agree with you on that because if you can't stop the run, you can't win football games. Ask Oregon, ask Cal, ask Oregon State. The teams but, with the worst run stop in the conference or in the country will not go far. And that just talks about, we talk about Utah. Like, who is Utah? Utah's six and one, and their schedule, honestly, has been poochies, if you ask me. And like, okay, so Utah's some big juggernaut now. Yeah, they're a respectable program, very physical. I love everything about that, about that school. But at the same time, that's my point. You can't overlook anybody. If Utah was overlooking Oregon State, then shame on them because they came up to Corvallis and should have went home with an L. But do they not, though? Don't teams overlook opponents all the time, though? Isn't that common in sports? Whether they should or not, it happens. Does I mean, it not? You, when I was in college, you know, I'll overlook an FCS team. Maybe if we got Portland State, we won. No, you know, disrespect to my Portland State friends, but I might overlook that. But I'm not overlooking Cal Berkeley with tons of four stars everywhere with multiple NFL players. I'm not overlooking Washington State with Brandon Gibson at, at, at receiver. At Mark, Mark, Marcus Wilson at receiver. Mm-hmm. I'm not overlooking anybody as a corner in the Pac-12 because every team has a receiver that can, you know, make or break my career on on a day to day basis. Yeah, I, I I don't know. We get Angie, but in I here. get it. I, if the team like is one and nine, you might overlook them. But I just think that the Plus state of the Davis Pac-12, w- the state of the Pac-12 right now is not a conference where you overlook anybody. I mean, you talk about Oregon State being the doormat of the Pac-12, but we go on the road to uh, Minnesota and again, coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. But you know. But technically, by the way, they're not because they're not dead last in the conference. I just want to throw that out there. There's a couple teams worse than them. <laughs> right, right. One of them resides in Eugene right, right. now in the standings. Yep. <laughs> um, but I, but I did want to I did want to throw this out too because I see where you're coming from. The problem is, Doc. Not every athlete has your mentality. Not every athlete has that opportunity that you had for what four five years of right. playing in the NFL. So I think there's a lot of kids that become lackadaisical. I look at that Cal game and I say. Yeah, I think they did wake up in the second half and say, "All right, let's get our s together." They are the best passing offense in in the in the conference. Mm-hmm. Oregon State's defense is the bright spot of their team right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't mean to take anything away, but I think the reality is they have thrown the ball on any and everybody. And that I would they say pass to. defense. Pass defense is the strength of Oregon State right now. We still need some. We need but to, to tighten up that run. Those numbers. I think a couple of things went in their favor. I think one, they got lackadaisical to start, and Davis Webb hurt his thumb. He was on my radio show yesterday and said he's. He's going to be good to go, and the bye week was big, but he couldn't grip the football. Yeah. So Cal had to resort to but something that's, they that's don't bad do. bad on Cal. Yeah. If, if you have a quarterback that's used to throwing 300 yards a game and he's hurt, you can't tell me Cal doesn't have someone else that can go ahead and sling the ball? I don't, I don't think they have anybody the that ball, they trust. Just, I mean, that's just, well, they yeah. did run the ball on the Beavers, though. That was the only way they, kept, they came back in the ball game and kept themselves within striking distance. I just think... Mm. I think there's an element here where we're kind of maybe saying the same thing, but also saying something different 
of it may sound like I'm taking away from Oregon State. I just feel where the Beavers program is right now, they would lose eight out of ten times that they would play Cal. And I just feel like the way Cal played in that fourth quarter, he scored 24 points. Yeah, maybe on a neutral site, but in Research Stadium, I'm, I, I, I don't know because again, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna rely on at home. We're not we're not too shabby at home. We're not too shabby at home. We lost to Boise State. They're a top 15 program. Played strong in the second half, and we lost to uh, Utah, who's another top. You know what are they ranked at this week? I'm sure top 18, uh, top 20 at least, and so. I mean, again, two, you know, five point swing. Like we said, we're sitting here with a different conversation. Oregon State beats a top twenty five program at home, second year under Anderson. Is this going the right way? Yeah. Well, you no, know? no. I don't. I don't. I don't ever want to say. Uh, we've thrown that out to listeners on my radio show. And Angie, feel free to to just interrupt us if you think I'm being an idiot on any of this stuff. That's <laughs> totally fine. Um, I've thrown that out just to see where people feel about Anderson because it's year two. You know, is the progression where you want to see it? Nobody has questioned Gary Anderson in terms of the longevity of what the program could be if he stays. But again, my whole point with the Cal thing, and this is always tough on Twitter because you got the character limits. Like Oregon State couldn't run the ball against Idaho State. And then suddenly they have a game of 474 yards. Different Idaho strokes, State's different not people. better than California. No, different people, though. Different people. But Oregon State's not going to have that again this year. But Brandon, what? that Idaho State game, that playing Oregon State is like their national championship. I mean, they're, they've been prepping for that game probably all fall. All of August they've been doing stuff for that game. Can Oregon State overlook them? And, you know, I'm going to throw one thing out. I know, Brandon, you and I are parents. Yeah. James, I know you have your nieces and nephews, so you might be able Don't we as parents or as fans hold our team or our kids to maybe a higher standard of where we want them to be or where we think they can be? For sure. Do you sure. think that comes into play? For sure. I absolutely think it comes into play. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that, um, and, and I think that's where maybe the difference for some people would be is, uh, I, I just I think there are times where, again, I we gave a ton of credit to Gary Anderson and them for getting that win. That was big for their program. That's not like a momentum turning. And even program then, like win. I don't think that it was a big win in the sense that some of these guys haven't won before. But I mean, but they if, haven't won if in we're a long counting time. The days of beating Cal at home as a big pro, like a big win. I mean, it's like, hey, you got to win your home games and you got to split on the road. That's the mentality of an NFL type of uh, organization. Yeah, in college, it's hard. if you split on the road, you don't go to the bowl games you want to. So it's like you have to win every game or else you, your coaching staff is under scrutiny. But again, you got to win your home games mm-hmm. and you got to travel on the road and do well. And you got to have a defense to travel on the road and Cal doesn't have a defense. And so they're not going to be a very good road team. They're, 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 Cal will lose another conference game on the road. I'm willing to bet probably oh, multiple. Oh, no doubt about it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against you on that one uh i don't think i when i say this stuff about cow and i don't know how we've kind of gotten into the cow conversation but <laughs> well we just backed up from that comment but. well I, I just i don't look at cow and say it's a juggernaut so I, I don't want you to take what i'm saying is saying cow is like the end all be all nobody rushed the field that was the first conference run in two years nobody rushed the field student wise so it wasn't like that's the biggest win they're ever going to have. Yeah, I guess I'm just speaking for I just think for Cal's the... a better program than you this year. Yeah. It's a great win. Yeah. But I also think there's an element, because it does happen in sports, where Angie mentions Idaho State and how Oregon State's their Super Bowl. Wouldn't you say classifying the way that they played, maybe Oregon State overlooked Idaho State a little bit and thought, we're going to go win 50-7 to because Colorado just beat them 50-7. And, and FCS teams, you know, that that can happen. But even then, Oregon State shouldn't be looking overlooking FCS teams. We saw it against we, Sac State, Doc. Yeah, we've lost, you know, to some FCS teams in, in our history. So that's not, you know, that wouldn't be the right mentality. 
I think I'm just speaking for the you know Oregon State fan that just feels underappreciated. Like here we are, mm-hmm. you know, trending up, we're winning the game, and then we have personalities saying that, oh well, you know, yeah, they beat Cal, but Cal probably was sleeping through the whole game. But if Oregon loses, then you know it's way more complex why they're losing. And mm-hmm. let's get into it. Nobody overlooked Oregon. I mean, people probably do overlook Oregon right now. Well, I'll say this too. First of all, Angie kind of alluded to it earlier. It is a numbers game for us. I think you know that being yep. in the industry now. Um, which, by the way, you catch James Dockery on Comcast Sportsnet doing every Oregon State show. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, and we'll get to that here in, in a few minutes. But, um, yeah, I, I just think, first of all, it's a numbers game for us in radio, uh, on newspapers, TV, etc. And the second thing, too, is the Oregon conversation is different than Oregon State. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Oregon State here and there, and it's about, hey, can the Beavs be competitive this week? Will they cover the spread? Which, by the way, they've done a damn good job of covering spreads this year, so they're not getting quite as blown out as they were last year. Uh, And finding the positives and listening to Gary Anderson is very refreshing versus when we talk about Oregon now, basically the conversation is, when will Mark Helfrich be fired? And who is this program going to go get? Which Which is crazy to me. Well, but it also tells you the state of that program and just maybe where expectation is. And I think that's why those two conversations, one goes a little longer versus the Oregon State one, because I've said this too on the podcast, this last week with Angie, um, we talk Oregon State on my radio show as much as any other show here locally. Mm. I prompt you can't. You, I listen a lot. You guys know. I, hey, that, during that, that that's time fine. period, I'm in my car a lot. Listening that's fine. To listen to prime time. Listen to our morning show, Destiny Cam. Go listen to competition. You're not going to find another show in the Portland market that talks Oregon State more than our show. Which, by the way, I'll admit isn't the most. But I'll also say this: when we talk Beavers, we'll get maybe 20 people that text in. When we talk Ducks. I get about 150 plus texts, half of which are but, from Beaver fans. And I want to say, well, yeah, but I think that so you, from, you, a, people, from a fan that's listens to you guys a lot, the the way you guys speak on that is different. The tone on t- talking about Oregon within the state is different than the tone talking about you know when we talk about Oregon State. It's a it's a whole different tone. And hey, so, I've got a really good solution. Mm-hmm. You listen to the damn podcast <laughs> and you read Beaver Blitz, right? <laughs> and, that's mean, what, and, and that's that's what, all I talk about is Beaver. Exactly. All the time. I, I want to call out, you know, I'm over here calling out Brandon, who I know is a great Oregon State fan, but at the same time, it's like, no, Oregon it's State good. fans, we cry and complain about this too, but like, yeah, yeah call in. Show that you care. Come to the yeah, games. Yeah. Fill it up. What are you doing on Saturday in Oregon? Yeah, it's raining, but what are you doing? Just sitting there watching HD all day? Go to the game. Be a supporter. Yeah. Talk about, uh, you know, we're always giving crap to Oregon, but those fans are coming to their games and watching it's them play. They're out, still coming at two yeah. and four, so there's, there's no excuses why we can't pack a house, you know, with Cal. Maybe the Utah game where there's, you know, monsoon warnings i can understand yeah. that but we need to step up as a beaver nation you know before we start really pointing a lot of fingers because i can point them at our own uh fan base as well angie when was the last sellout at reser oh gosh i don't even remember i mean Honestly. that's that's part of the problem though right like i, I never like to be the guy because i see where you're coming from but i never on like on my radio show i'd also don't like to be the guy be like hey go spend 50 to 100 dollars because i don't go to all the games True. right so i feel a, i feel like i'm a little bit of a hypocrite um, but I see where you're coming from, and I'll just tell you, having been to both games this year, like I've been to Oregon State game, and I went to an, the Oregon-Washington game, Oregon was losing literally 63-21 to 21 going into the fourth quarter, and I, I, honest to God, minus the student section, I would probably say that stadium was still 87% full. Zero chance that the thing is 50% full if the Beavers are losing 63-21 to 21 to anybody. Yeah. In fact, I was at the UW game when they won... What was that? Was it 69 that one year, Angie, in 2013? Was it 69 points they put up? 
Yeah, yeah. 69, I was at that game, and that was decently packed. It wasn't full. By the time that thing was way out of control, 45 to nothing or 50 to whatever, I mean, that thing was 80% done. And I can honestly say that must be, you know, something new because, or I mean, and with this transition, like, again, I've my last game I played with Oregon State was, you know, 2010. So between that time and now, there's been a lot of change just in the mentality of a Beaver fan, uh, the mentality in the program, good. And then also – you know, just with how we go about our, our, our business, because even I mean, I remember hearing from guys at all star games in the NFL like, man, I hated coming to research. Like you guys had a loud stadium. It was noise. It was it was wet. And, you know, I hated playing in Eugene. They put research stadium, maybe not up there with uh, Austin as far as a noise level, mm-hmm. but it was up there as far as you ask a USC guy or you ask a guy from the Pac-12 South, where do they hate playing? It's going to be research and it's going to be Austin. It's going to be UW, basically everywhere up in Northwest. You know? Did you hear what Josh Rosen said? Did you guys see this? No, what? What did Josh say? Uh, Josh Rosen had a quote where he was talking about places to play, and he actually said Corvallis is probably the worst place he's had to play. Like, yeah. it's just the toughest place. Yeah. And I I don't remember what the attendance was. Maybe you can But correct. you do know that Josh Rosen plays for US, UCLA. And did you see Gabe Marks' comments Monday? Yeah, yeah man, that, that was funny. I love Gabe Marks. Called him a douchey <laughs> program. Yeah, <laughs> that they, they're just trying to act tough because they wear baby blue and they live in Westwood. Hey, I've been, <laughs> I've been to Westwood several times. I know what he's talking about. There ain't nothing dangerous in Westwood. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you had Josh Rosen, who's been in college football of two or three years, two years, and he already thinks Oregon State, of all the places he's been in the conference – is one of the toughest places. So, because it can be a hard game, like you said, to get up for, and not necessarily overlooking. But you wake up in Corvallis and come to game day. I mean, it's gray, yeah. it's cold, it's yeah. wet, and like you're like, oh man, we actually have to play a game, and, and also, then we're excited. We're we're yeah. we're used to this. We're ready to play exactly because you know? we live there, right? Yeah. So, oh, we lived there when I was in college. But like, I also think too, when those teams come, they come into town Thursday or Friday. I mean, there's literally if you're used to being in LA or Seattle or you know, the Bay Area, there's literally nothing to do for yeah, you. We're going to learn to sleep. You're not going to exactly. hear no lights, no so, sirens, yes, nothing. <laughs> ex- you know, I, I think there's a lot to that, though, yeah. and, and what you're talking about of how the home field advantage is a thing. And, and that's my been my whole problem is it's not just people like when we talk beavers, like interact, act like you care. Then when we do talk, don't just complain to me when you just hear a duck segment. Exactly, exactly. But it's also the attendance stuff. And again, I feel like a little hip, a little bit of a hypocrite if I don't go to every game, but... I, mean, I just want it known, because I figured this out the other day, because I did miss a game this year. I am old. I mean, mm-hmm. let's just get that out there. I'm no old. No way. <laughs> but, so back in the day when I was a student, that was Pettibone, triple option, wishbone stuff going. Machado has missed five home games since about 94. Yeah, put that one on. <laughs> I mean, that's what we need right there. That's what, that's what you would expect. And that's what we sell to these young guys. You know, I have a guy at Westview High School right now, uh, Brandon Peely. He's a four-star defensive yeah, I was tackle. I ask you about him. And, you know, he loves Oregon State. He, he really enjoyed his visit, the poly connection. He loves everything about it. But it's just like that is what we're selling to these recruits is our family atmosphere, how the town shuts down when game time comes around. But if we got some four-stars and guys that are going to come build a program and help us be able to call into these radio stations a little more confidently – then maybe we should, you know, try to do our part and show up to the and show up to the, uh, you know, to the games. Yeah, pricing okay, is Brandon always a Peely, factor. Brandon, Brandon Peely should be a four star, by the way. I, I saw that kid when you guys when Westview came and played Sherwood. Yep, beat Sherwood, by the way. You beat him. Yes, we did. But uh, that kid's a he's a monster. Yeah, Brandon is a guy that you know. I, 
hey, I'm not an NFL scout or anything like that, but I've been around a lot of defensive linemen in my life, and I think that if he works hard and he really wants his dream to continue post-college, he could definitely do that. That's a lot of pressure to put on a young kid, but you know the things that I can see that he does on a daily basis every day at 6'4", 315 yeah. is just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, and I'll so, say- so a little, I mean, some, some stuff to think about here. So I, I know Washington's been, um, he's mentioned Washington as being, I think, his family up there. He's from Alaska originally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Washington, so there's, there's this intriguing thing. So Washington already has a commitment from four-star D-tackle Marlon Tui Pelotu down in Independence, Oregon. Yeah, from Central, correct? Yeah, From Central, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's this talk of Huskies, oh, the Huskies are going to move some things around and try to make, okay, they may move things around for Peely. Does Marlon start looking around then? And can the Beavers pounce on that? I mean, there's so much going on here with recruiting. Yeah, I think it helps definitely uh, when your head coach is a D-line uh a position coach because you know these guys that are the recruiting battles for the D tackles I mean like you're battling maybe a D line position coach versus the head football coach of Oregon State so I think you know coach Anderson coaching that position is going to help you'll definitely you know whether it be Peely or the guy from Centennial we're going to get better interior players for sure over the years and um, I would love it to start right there with Peely I'm, I'm just going to say now Angie uh, yeah. we have a former Oregon State Beaver on that staff and Doc and I think you got there's a, a couple actually. Got, there's yeah. a couple well, yeah Four or five of us. There, okay, there's four or five former Oregon State Beavers on that staff. If he doesn't go to Oregon State, I think they all they all lose their alumni status for like two years. I think <laughs> I, they get banned. From I heard it. that a lot, but it's like, hey, we got to play. But by you're the rules. in the yeah. ear, though. I mean, I know you're playing by the rules, but I mean, if the kids like, hey, man, what's what's Corvallis like? Are you allowed to be like, hey, it was actually a great place to go to college? Yeah, I told him. I told him, you know, I would take my uh, you know trip there during Halloween weekend. That's what I did. I was 16 years old. Show up to Corvallis on Halloween. That oh, was great. God, you were probably a nightmare at <laughs> Corvallis at 16. <laughs> <laughs> the rest is history. Okay, so I just I want to change gears since we have Doc on. Okay. Because I have talked to so many former players. I've talked to um, former NFL players who have met with Coach Anderson, met with the staff. I know you're a Riley guy. I mean, we all love Coach Riley and mm-hmm. his staff. But, James, what are your thoughts of Coach Anderson? As a uh, former player or as a player? Yeah, I've been lucky. You know, I think, you know, uh, for me, being able to play in the NFL, it always has a little bit of weight. Uh, otherwise, I don't think I would have been able to develop the relationship I have with Coach Anderson. I've I've been to Las Vegas with them. I've been, you know, fundraisers with them, signing days with them. I've spent a lot of time with them. Um, I love his personality. I mean, if he was the head coach at Oregon State and, and he was recruiting me, I think that, hey, the, the same results will happen. I think that I would still end up a beaver. I like his personality. I like his uh, defense of mindset I like his aggression I like he, he doesn't beat around the bush I, lo- I love all those things and it's very similar to uh, Coach Banker their personalities mm-hmm. are very very similar so for me that, w- that would have been an easy uh, seamless transition um you know, I love Riley. Love what he's doing at, at, at Nebraska. That's for sure. Surprised you're not at Nebraska. Everybody else is that used to play at Oregon State, <laughs> right? Right. But I'm just one of those guys. that's like, hey, I'm a true and true Beaver. I think people know that. So as long as I say, if I can stay around the program as much as possible, that's what I'm. That's what I'm looking forward to doing. But Coach Anderson, everybody that's been around him from uh, you know years past, really, uh, really love him. I think he resonates a lot better with the Arison guys. Yeah. Um, I think the Riley recruits, we really love Riley because he's like kind of like a dad to us. Riley was more than a coach. He was just a good guy as far as molding how we were going to make decisions as as older men, you know. But I think the the mentality standpoint that the guys had, uh, you know, the early 2000s Beavers mm-hmm. and those Erickson guys. Those Juco guys. Maybe those guys that didn't yeah. come back around, you know, when we had a nice <laughs> run with Riley. Hushmanzada never saw him come back. Man, th- those guys like Coach Anderson – they really do, just because you know he has he has that language that he speaks with them that resonates. Speaking of 
Coach Coach Erickson. I I ran into him on on Saturday. It was the highlight of my day. Oh, did you end up getting to see him at that game? I did. I, I you know I didn't expect to, but I was halftime, and I'm like coming back from down the hall in the bathroom, and and like the whole Utah coaching staff's coming down the hall, and he stops, and he looks. And he, I got the half hug. <laughs> you got the half hug. I got a half hug. He's like, oh my gosh, how are you doing? Oh man, that's Came it's back a- to the seat. I'm like, okay, just ran into to, to Coach E. And so James, I was a, a fundraiser when Coach Erickson was was there, so. Like I said, I'm old. It's it's always funny too, like because uh, when I went to Nebraska, I saw Riley, and he's like his face like lit up because he'd recognize me, and he's like, "Oh, I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you're wearing a Nebraska shirt." Like, it's always funny. I always like it when guys like that, Erickson, Riley, any coach, uh, they just don't change. Like they're like, "Oh yeah, I know that person. Yep. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stone big cold. time him. Yeah, I'm not yep. gonna big time him. But uh, it's interesting that you say he's like Erickson in that sense, and. You know, I think me and Angie were talking about like if you could pick the face of the program because I I voted in this Pac-12 like all Oregon State team, uh-huh. and you get to pick a coach, and it was Erickson, uh, Riley. I forget there, who else was on that list, but I picked Riley, and mm-hmm. Angie said she'd probably go Erickson, and mm-hmm. so that generated a lot of people going back and forth. But I think what resonates with people with Erickson versus Riley, like Riley had a great run, and I think he put this program in the position to have expectation. Mm-hmm. But Erickson has the Fiesta Bowl, and mm-hmm. I think there's this, like... I see it every day. My head coach wears this Fiesta Bowl championship ring, and it just kills me <laughs> But But day. I think there's, you know, I think there is it a... It was such a fun run. It's a, Mi- I mean, it's a U of Miami thing. Yeah, it's, it's it was a, a smash swagger. Yeah, it's a swagger. It's a it's an it's an arrogance. It's this confidence. It's this attitude. Which is why I, I don't understand. It's like when people say we can't recruit to Corvallis or we can't win big in Corvallis, like, that's a lie. We've already done it with Coach Erickson. With Riley, I'm sorry, Coach. We were three games away from getting in that Rose Bowl, at least a participation ring. You guys were back-to-back like, years. You know, and so it's like, I wish we could have did that all together to have that that common bond. But we still had a great run, a run won a lot of games. And so I, I don't believe that whole sentiment of we can't win big in Corvallis. I think it takes the right guy, which mm-hmm. is why it was refreshing when I woke up and see Riley leaving. I was hurt. But to see a guy like Anderson say, I want to be here. I've won nine games here and there. I built this program. Just went to a Big program. Ten title game last yeah, year. And I, yeah. I, I want to go there. And then when we get together like in closed doors he's not saying we can't go recruit these guys or i'm not going to reach out anderson's calling four stars he probably yep. calling five stars you know for all i know he's calling everybody yeah it's it's a little and bit he's of... taken as such a huge role in recruiting mm-hmm. i mean this craig evans he's a d tackle uh juco but uh anderson recruited him at wisconsin uh, he ended up at michigan state and uh things didn't go the way he had hoped and he's now down at arizona western but Anderson's leading that recruitment. And that's the yes, guy talking about he coach. wants to bring the corner with him, right? I yeah, believe. yeah, Keyshawn yeah. Nixon. Yeah. Well, and I, I think, too, you know, something about that is the media, We that conversation was had in the media when Riley left, like, oh, good luck finding a guy and good luck winning in Corvallis. Yeah. I'll say this, though, from the coach aspect, I'm not going to name names at all, but I, I will say there were people on the former staff that I would hear occasionally talk about the difficulties of recruiting. And I just feel like it's not that they're not being accurate. I just think that's also a defeatist mentality. Even put that in the universe, like no, exactly. okay, see, the, no doubt. I, I've had this. I've, I mean, Lindsay Schnell and I have gone head to head on talking bees before about this because she really has that kind of defeatist. It's too hard to recruit in Corvallis, and mm-hmm. you know, there's no airport. I mean, we've heard it all. Yeah, it's not. It's just a matter of you need salesmen, mm-hmm. and exactly. um, you need a whole staff of salesmen and closers. And, yep. and Riley was this awesome guy, and everybody, I mean, I love him. He's the nicest human. I would love for my kid to play for him, but he wasn't a closer. 
It was, I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many times kids would say, oh, yeah, I, I committed to Coach Riley on my trip, but he told me to go home and sleep on it. <laughs> right. You know who's a closer from those years? Nigel Banker. Burton. Nigel Burton. Closer. Nigel Burton. Banker. Closer. Banker. Keith Hayward. Keith Hayward. Closer. Yeah. They yeah. were your guys. And which is why Keith is still getting paid big dollars yeah. to go coach because everywhere he goes, he's going to get you a four-star corner guarantee. Yeah. You know, and he was, that was such a, a tough move when he left because, you know, I mean, he loves Oregon State. I mean, James, you know that. He bleeds orange and black. Yep. And, um, he still does. I mean, I talked to him. He still bleeds orange and black. But um, what Anderson has done is surrounded himself with an entire staff yep. of clothes. I mean, you, I mean, Coach Odom, Coach Hall. I mean, these guys are out there hustling. Telly, I mean, this is what's going to get it done. And, and you go back to, them, to the media, you know, we haven't talked about this, Brandon. We had a big discussion about this last week on the podcast. The media, you know, Oregon State has a new media communications department. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was actually, I think, the second year... Actually, I think the the year I graduated was the first year they actually made so it that's a major. Actually a wow. Yeah. Hindsight. But, but, you know, know Oregon this. is the school that has a quote-unquote journalism program. And and I get into this with, with some of the students that are there now that we hire as interns. And, Makes sense. You know, they want they, – they, they have this plan of, oh, I'm going to go be a newspaper writer. Yeah. And I'm telling them, I'm like, no, you need to have a video aspect. Yep. You need to have an online you gotta aspect. you got to be well-rounded. You need yeah. to be well-rounded. Oregon is turning out these guys. I mean, and, and we see it – whether it's recruiting writers, beat writers, if they, you know, mm-hmm. of course they're going to have a little slant. Just like, I, I'll flat out admit, I have a slant toward Oregon State. But see, nobody would, and that was funny, I got a text from uh, somebody who in, did an internship here at The Fan, and she's an Oregon person, she's a really cool, really cool chick, and she's doing great down in Eugene. She sent me a, a text, because I was at the Oregon game, and she saw a snap that I did, and so she shot me a text, and was like, I bet you're enjoying this, LOL, and I said, ah, I don't really care, I, you're here with my cousins hanging out. And she goes, well, the press box is uh, annoying tonight. Everybody's all pissed off and cranky. And I go, that's because half the media in that in that building right now sitting by you, they won't admit this, but they're all rooting for Oregon to win right. because their work is relevant. Like, that's the one thing right. people will never admit media, and I hate. When the program's doing well, you don't think Angie wants Oregon State to be back in that Rose Bowl conversation? No She's killing it at Beaver Blitz. She'd be killing it even more if you're right in that position. We right. do that on radio. Yeah. You don't think I don't want Oregon State to win? I don't want the Ducks to be a relevant conversation? I absolutely do because I go from doing really good to doing incredibly well. So this idea that these media members are not biased, I think a couple of them may be. But in, in totality, like the guys that have been on these beats for a long time, I just don't buy it. I think they absolutely yeah. want these programs to be relevant conversations. But but even with even with having the closer stuff though, and the way kind of recruiting has gone for Oregon State, I just feel that Gary Anderson does have the right approach to it. Mm-hmm. And, and not that Riley didn't. Riley had some really good years of recruiting. But at the end, there was no doubt that it had kind of fallen off a little bit. And I think he'd seen the writing on the wall, and that's why he bounced to Nebraska. Um, but with Gary Anderson, like there's this mentality, and I wonder if, as a former player if you kind of picked this up too. He just wants to roll his sleeves up, and he truly wants to rebuild a program. And I was reading a really good piece on Chris Peterson, and the big thing for Peterson was, yeah, it was changing culture and mentality, but the biggest for them was recruiting. Mm-hmm. Like they knew where they wanted to hit and how they wanted to hit, and defensive oh. line, for example, was the biggest thing for them. And now look at it. They have the, arguably one of the best front sevens in the country. So I'm just curious if that comes across for you as an alum yeah. with Gary Anderson. Yeah, two things, man. One, you know, 
It's about the Jimmys and the Joes, not the X's and the No's, right? You <laughs> got to have players. You got to have players. We that. had a lot of times, Riley's a great talent evaluator. So a lot of times we took risks on guys that may not were, you know, may not have been Pac 12 ready as a 16, 17 year old, but he saw that at 19, 20, they will be great players, right? Yeah. Whereas, but sometimes that's hit or miss, and you can't really expect to, to win Rose Bowls or be there every year with that type of mentality, right? So I think that, uh, you know, Anderson goes out there and just he he's not he's not afraid of uh, of going after the the big fish in the room. So again, it's not the Jimmys and the Joes, or it's the Jimmys and the Joes, not, not the, the X's not and the, the X's and the O's, man. And and Chris Peterson understands that when we talk about X's and O's and Jimmys and Joes and all that, you got to disrupt the passer. You got to be able to stop the run and yep. run the ball. You look across the nation, teams that win national championships, Alabama run game, you know, unbelievable. Front yeah. seven, unbelievable. Ohio State run game, unbelievable. Front seven, unbelievable. Right here in our own conference, Stanford run game, unbelievable. Defensive line, unbelievable. Maybe not this year, but. The but last most, seven, most right? years, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. anybody that knows football, really, really knows football, it all starts up front. Angie, I want to ask you a question, too. And I just, honest answer here, because um, I may be out of touch with this. What year do you think, because I know, I know scout and recruiting stuff has been around for a while now. What year, though, do you think it reached a plateau of it being on ESPN and, and everybody kind of paying attention to it, to what it is now? Like, what year do you think that started really? Oh God! Would you go back? Like, would you go pre two thousand five? Because I, I just in my head for football, yeah, just like coverage and all that. The way college is, I feel yeah. like that, like two thousand six to two thousand nine. In my head is when it when it kind of clicked up to where it is now. But I'm I don't know if I'm right or wrong on that. Well, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking back. So when I was the Portland area fundraiser in athletics. We did start a recruiting dinner. I, that was like one of my projects at the time, and that was in 02. Mm-hmm. Because before that, it had just been like a luncheon where the coach would come up and do a, a huddle luncheon. Um, so we started that in 02, 03, right around there. As far Beaver Blitz started in 02. I'm thinking that it, it's really been like, you know, 06. Okay. I mean, where where everybody, you know, and then, you know, I, I used to be doing a piece for the Oregonian back in probably 2010, uh-huh. 2011, 12. Maybe it was a little after that, 11, 12, 13. And then now, I mean, now they have, you know, a full-time writer covering recruiting for well, a couple teams. But yeah. um, it got, yeah, I'd say in that late 2000s, it was getting where everybody, uh, yeah, I feel but, you like, know, like 2004 was probably one of the best recruiting classes Oregon State had. had. Um, it, you guys remember Burnell Wallace? Mm-hmm. I forget what is it is. He ended up at Ole Miss. But, um, you know, I mean, that was Charlie Oh, no, Camp. Oh, Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace, Mike Wallace. Yeah. yeah. So it was Burnell yeah, yeah, yeah. Wallace, actually, when he was recruiting. Him and Keenan oh, yeah, Lewis him, were yeah, uh, supposed to come through. Guys, yeah. That class was, I mean, that class was really, really good. I mean, you, you look at like. Sammy Schroeder, all those mm-hmm. guys. Yeah, yeah. So you have, that class was amazing. And then to see, like I said, it was Mike Wallace, but Burnell when he was being recruited. Right. Um, that was a big class. Um but there's been – it's really kind of picked up steam as far as, you know, like those un, those little hidden gems and things. Well, and, and that's kind of what I was getting at in terms of finding that out because I've always just believed this, too, with Riley. Like, he's at Nebraska now. That's a much easier pitch. He doesn't – you say he's not as good a closer. Like, he doesn't really have to close. It's like, hey, the come to Nebraska. facilities close that for you. Hey, man, yeah, I, a lot exactly. of times. Yeah. I, I went to Lincoln. That, yeah. It is uh, – you walk in. As soon as you walk in – because uh, I went to the field access. As soon as you walk through those doors where he brings all the players, you see the national championships, you see the trophy case, and you're like, holy, I'm done. I'm sold, I'm right? Yeah. And it's a beautiful stadium. But what I was going to get to was with Oregon State and Riley, I think with guys like you, 
like Poy, Poyer, uh, like the Sammy Strotters of the world, and other guys that he recruited that might have been classified as two or three stars, I thought Riley benefited from the right era of hitting on the diamonds in the rough, quote-unquote, yeah. whereas nowadays... It's still important to hit on those two and three stars, but they're not quite as diamond in the rough. Like well, everybody you know, knows and, about and it. And we now, saw you know? kind yeah, of. I, exactly. I think we saw a big change too, and and it, I think it gets overlooked. And I I probably overstate it, but they lost a ton when Jim when Jim Gilstrap passed away. Yeah. That guy. I mean, he could find. He was. I, I don't think it can be overestimated how great of a talent evaluator he was, and I think Riley really relied on him mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's interesting to hear that because Gilly, when I was there, was just, you know, very quiet and, you know, very, you know, hands off. Not really. He was probably obviously more behind the scenes. You know, I didn't even realize how much of a, you know, you know, positive instrument he was for Oregon State and evaluating talent. But again, like you're saying, too, man, there's no diamonds in the rough nowadays with Huggle. Exactly. All, all my kids after every game, let them have a big game that night when I get home to watch tape, they've already got. Uh, the huddle stuff the out. Huddle yeah. added yeah. it up weeks one through seven yeah. highlights from tonight. Uh, check it out. Yeah. Log it in. Retweet me. Yeah. Favorite me. Blessed to receive my sixth offer. <laughs> like you know, these guys are marketing yeah. themselves like marketing majors. I ain't, but you know what? I, I give them credit for that hustle though, and that's kind of the reality. Of what it is. The other thing too that I'll say, and we're, we're kind of running up against. I know you got to kind of get into some work doc here, and I got to get ready for my radio show here because we're recording this a little early uh, and putting this together with today's podcast. Um, but the other thing too is it, it's funny the whole notion of not recruiting. It's like okay, now bear with me here because I know the success rate is a lot different here. What is there to do in Tuscaloosa? Nothing. Uh, how bad was Baylor before Art Bryles got to Waco? What's there to do in Waco? Right. I mean, it's all about What's there to do in Lincoln? I yeah, mean, I mean, you want to get down to it. Yeah. There, there's nothing to I was in Lincoln. There's literally nothing to do. There's a cool little bar, and that's about it. Uh, my whole thing on that point is it's about winning. Yep. And, and winning, I like this notion that winning doesn't matter for kids anymore. And I think that's hilarious because it's like, well, then why do all the top programs still get the best recruiting classes? It's not because of their towns. It's not because of their gear. No, winning matters. Man. Ohio State yeah. doesn't change their uniforms. Bama wears the same damn thing. Yeah. We're talking Kid, about kids that are the top 3% of athletes in the country. Yes. Winning matters. And they're, yeah. winning absolutely resonates with them. So if Gary Anderson's going to get this thing turned around... Um, that's why I think the conversation is different for Oregon, Oregon State, to tie in the original. It's like when you start winning, the conversation shifts, the attitude, the mentality, and I still think he's going to do great things. But I'm telling you, Doc, if they can win another Pac-12 game this year, you get three, you beat last year's total, and then you go into next year and maybe you're a bowl team. And you take that step. I think it starts right here at home too, because we got some great high school athletes in state. It's this starting year. to get better this in state. The, I've yeah, noticed this that, is one yeah. of the best, you know, recruiting classes Oregon has had as a state in a while. And like we could win some battles right here at home that that would be outstanding for our program. And I think that'll be a great way to do that is to win that Civil War game. Well, and, and I, yep. I I don't I don't count that out by the way. I don't be tailgating at that thing, so feel free to stop <laughs> by and get drunk with me. Um, but you know, the whole thing for me is ultimately. If he starts winning, you talk about him calling those four or five stars. I'm telling you, if he wins and they're playing that smash mouth football and research starts to kind of get packed with a little his bit, attitude, I'm telling you, you I know? think that's when it clicks for him in recruiting. You got to start winning. No doubt. And that's the toughest sell job for him. Yep. Um, anything you want to plug, Doc? Um, hey, not really. Uh, you know, just having an opportunity to get into this media world. You know, catch me on Talking Beavers. Uh, How's that going for you? You liking it? Yeah, I'm liking it. I think it a you're lot. doing a really good job, to be honest. With you. I thought you were going to suck at first. I said, ah, uh, he's. <laughs> 
He's going to be god-awful. He's going to get on there and try to look sharp with his suits, and he's not going to say anything. No, I, I'm just kidding. But you, you've done a really good job, man. Appreciate that, man. I'm doing that and uh, looking to uh, you know, get into some financial advising, help out these athletes, and I'm playing for the long term. No doubt about it. And uh, I would like to take credit for James Dockery's media career because if it weren't for <laughs> me, he wouldn't have any experience. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, well, if it Very wasn't true. for me interviewing him as a true freshman. <laughs> <laughs> all of us played a role. We're all in this together. chance on camera right there. That's yeah, right. Me That's and Angie, we, ra- we, uh, we raised James Dockery. i got to pull up some of those clips from talking to Angie when I was like 17. I'll, I'll probably, <laughs> like, I want to hear how I sound. You see, Anderson doesn't let me do that. You know, that was like my thing. Riley was cool with it. I said, hey, I've talked to these kids and they're in high school. Yeah. I, I'm not going to throw them under the bus. I, you know, mom wants to see them on TV, video. And it's, so Riley was cool with it. Anderson won't let me talk to freshmen until they've been in the program. You know, they have to give them training. And Earn all some that. stripes. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. Right. I was like, come on, guys. I, I can tell you who the good interviews are. And yeah, James was always one of my go tos. Brandon Cooks, James Rogers. Yeah. And, Still to this day, I mean, like, I've been doing this now since 06. You and James Rogers win the prize for the best trash talking. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, you two. You guys had some good so battles. Fun. Yeah, we still we still get together and, and do that a lot. So that's, that's that'll never change. All right. We're gonna so get, fun. We got to get you on this podcast again. I know you're busy. I know you demand money now. So it's, you're, <laughs> you're a little more expensive to get on. But uh, we got to find a way to get you back on. Maybe for the Civil War. Maybe that could be fun. Let's do it anytime. Will, will they cover the 37 and a half point spread? In Seattle. Oh, man. That's a tough U-Dub, place to play. by the way, is winning on average. Just to throw a stat out, UW's winning on average by 36 against everybody. I, I mean, I'm one of those guys, too, that I'm not really so I'm sold on UW as a program. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. But their schedule, not really sold on that yet. It's so. not great. It hasn't been great so far. You know, to say that, I just I trust Anderson, man. We're going to... We're going to get beat by 37 this year with our they pass defense. They lost 52-7 to seven last year. I like our matchup with Deku and Ross. I like I like what we could do. We still can't stop the run, and I know Chris <laughs> Peterson is going to get downhill with yeah. that. So and he's I, got three running backs. I, I don't think we lose by 40. Okay. All right, Angie? I don't know. I'm, I'm a little concerned about the Elijah Qualls and uh, yeah. Marcus McMarion. Yeah, I have a little difficulty, too. Ah. I want to believe. I do. I just think UW's rolling right now. They got the best. I got arguably the, probably the second best front seven in the country behind Bama. Uh, and I know their schedule has been great, but they're they're taking care of business, man, and they're they're whipping people's ass. So uh, check out Doc on Comcast Sportsnet, BeaverBlitz.com for all Angie's great work uh, and the latest on recruiting. And tune into the radio show noon to three on ten eighty The Fan, Dirt and Sprague Monday through Friday. Thanks for coming in, Doc. We really appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch you guys next week for another edition of the Damn Podcast.